Amen. You may have a seat. Good to see you, City Church. Grateful to be here with you. As you go to your seat, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the book of Joshua this morning. We're beginning a new series in the Old Testament. Excited about that. Uh, this is the, the season, this is the time of year where no doubt if you've paid attention at all to uh, maybe your so- social media feeds or uh, watching TV, this is the time of year that you're bombarded with uh, really the message of how to have a successful life, right? You, you're, you're getting things like, uh, you know, the cliche stuff of new, you, new year, new you, uh, 13 best ways to lose weight and get into shape. Uh, the, the best 10 ways to feel great about 2023, all these different types of uh, New Year's messages, uh, no doubt you have seen in the past week. Uh, this is the time of year for resolutions and making new rhythms, uh, but all of this is designed for you to have a successful life. That at the end of the day, that's what we are looking for, right? We want, as we in, endeavor any of those things, we want to be successful, We want to be successful uh, maybe in our physical health. We want success in financial health. We want success in in relational health. Now the rub is how do we define what success is? We could say we want a successful life, but we we really have to define what we mean by that. In fact, if I asked uh, the 60 or 70 of you that are here this morning, what, what makes for a successful life, I might get that many answers. Uh, if I ask you, what, what is success, you, you might give me an answer that the person next to you uh, wouldn't. But as Christians, we're called to look at what God is calling us in order to have a successful life. What is God calling us to in order to have success? And maybe, maybe as Christians, we're even a little bit uncomfortable using that language, successful life. Um, that, that might kind of brush up against us. You don't like to think about uh, a successful life because it sounds too worldly. But what I want to propose to you is that as we get into this passage this morning from Joshua 1, God himself is talking to Joshua and he speaks actually twice of the people of God having good success, of being prosperous. Now, if any of us were to Google how to have a successful life, the book of Joshua would not come up in your search feed. Uh, In fact, it probably wouldn't even be in the top 10,000 how to have a successful life. But this is exactly what God will show us this morning. God's going to have much to say about success in the book of Joshua as we begin studying this this morning. And, and as I mentioned, we, we are starting a new series, very excited to journey through the book of Joshua with you. Um, before we begin reading uh, Joshua 1, uh, it's probably best to kind of set the stage of where are we in the story of Scripture. So we, we're coming to a new book of the Bible, we're in the Old Testament, and so we want to know where are we as we begin the book of Joshua? It's really important. Well, Joshua is the first book after the Pentateuch. Now, maybe you've heard that phrase before. The Pentateuch is basically the first five books of the Bible. Uh, and so Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. Now, as we think about the Pentateuch, if we think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, then we can look at some big themes in the, those five books, uh, basically, the Pentateuch is showing how God 
made promises to Abraham way back in the beginning of Genesis to make a people, to make them into a great nation, to bring them into a certain land, and to be a blessing to all the nations. That was the promise that God gave Abraham back in Genesis 12. And then we have the book of Exodus. In Exodus, we see that God has rescued his people out of captivity in Egypt. And they've been delivered from slavery and given freedom out of Egypt on the way to this land that God has promised them. But we, if you've read Exodus, you know that that did not happen with that generation of Israelites. In fact, they wander in the wilderness for several years. And the people under the leadership of Moses rebel and sin and despair, and they end up not being the generation that enters into the promised land. And so what we have here as we begin the book of Joshua is a new generation. This is the next generation. This is going to be the generation that enters the promised land. And so as we begin the book of Joshua, the people are on the plains of Moab, uh, just to the east of the Jordan River, to the east of the land of Canaan, which is the land that God has promised them. And so here they are. They've, they finally arrived at this place. The book of Joshua is going to give us the account as we read through it over the next several weeks of the people entering the land. So we'll, we will see that in the next several chapters. They enter this land they take the land, and then all the land is apportioned to the various tribes of Israel. And so we will see that as, as the next several weeks unfold. Uh, if we think about uh, all of this musically, I know we have obviously some musicians here, uh, but uh, many of you are aware of minor key and major key. You've at least heard those phrases before. If we were to look at the whole of the wandering in the wilderness in the Pentateuch, we might say that that was a song written in a minor key. And the reason we could say that is because there was great rebellion. There was the loss of that generation, as we mentioned, uh, people that would not enter the promised land. So that's a minor key song, if we're thinking about it that way. But as we begin the book of Joshua, Joshua is actually very much a major key song. There is much to celebrate in the book of Joshua, as we will see. Uh, we have the people of God finally entering this land that's been promised to him, to them, the land flowing with milk and honey, as you've probably read before. And so there's much to celebrate. So that's the book of Joshua. That's what's come before. That's what's ahead. So with all of that, let me read the passage that we will be in this morning. It's going to be Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. And the word of the Lord says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous, 
For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of this law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we know that especially as people that are living at this time in history, that you will never leave us or forsake us because you have given us the Holy Spirit as your people. We are united to Jesus Christ. And so we praise your name that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you are a promise-fulfilling God. And we pray that as we study your word this morning, as we study this passage in the Old Testament, that we would have our affections stirred all the more for Jesus Christ. It is him we proclaim. It is him who we are united to. And so we we ask, Spirit, that you would help us to understand your word and that you would change us. You would transform us as your people as we know that you are pleased to do. We are so grateful. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, as we look at this passage, we probably notice right away that God is addressing Joshua directly. Uh, and so, we want to ask the question as we begin this book, who is, who is Joshua? Maybe you've never read the Old Testament before. Maybe you've never read the book of Joshua. You may have heard his name before, uh, but who is who is Joshua? Well, we, we see there in verse 1 that he is described as the son of Nun and Moses' assistant. And we're also going to read that Moses has died, but while Moses was living, he worked closely with Joshua. So you can think of it this way. Joshua is to Moses as Sonny Dykes is to Gary Patterson. That, that is the relationship. Uh, in many ways, Joshua stands... I hope that was not offensive to TCU fans. I know we have a lot of uh, Sonny Dykes fans. What I, what I mean to say is that Joshua is standing in many ways in the shadow of Moses. Uh, he's standing in the shadow of Moses who in this passage is described as the servant of the Lord, uh, which is something incredible. And we know that Moses is seen as very great, a great mediator prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, he's described as a servant of the Lord. Joshua is not going to be described as a servant of the Lord until we get to the very end of this book. Now, Chris, Chris said it well last week that Moses is the OG of the OT. Uh, and that is right. Uh, we are meant to see in this passage that uh, Moses, as great as he is, Moses is dead. Moses has died. But that does not mean that God's promises have died. In fact, Joshua is being affirmed by God in this passage to be the one now to lead his people into the promised land. I think one of the things that we are meant to see as we, we look at this leadership transition is that, is that the deliverance of God's people follows a death. Do you see that? 
that deliverance into the promised land follows the death of Moses. There's death, and then there's resurrection. Moses dies, and then Joshua arises. And this is the pattern that God has set forth in his scriptures. This is the pattern we see over and over again that is ultimately typified in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who dies and then the only one who is resurrected. He is the one who dies and is resurrected. And so in saying that and being able to see that, immediately we we can recognize that Joshua is a type of Christ in many ways. In fact, uh, he is the first person in the Bible given a name that has God's personal name, Yahweh, in it. So I don't know if you knew this, but Joshua means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Or Yahweh saves. That's the meaning of the name Joshua. And the name Jesus, rendered in Hebrew, is Joshua. And so God has appointed Joshua here to deliver or save the people into this land as the fulfillment of the promises he made first to Abraham. And we know that Jesus is the one who saves to the utmost his people through the good gospel. So already we can see that Joshua is going to point us to Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to see that all the more as we begin this study. As we go through the next several weeks, Joshua is going to point us all the more to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, an Old Testament book is pointing us to the New Testament reality of Jesus Christ. Specifically, in the book of Joshua, we're going to see that God is loyal to his word. In fact, that's what we named the entire series, Loyal to His Word. God is loyal. God is a promise-keeping God, as we've mentioned. We can trust him to do what he says he is going to do. So the overall main idea of the book of Joshua, as we will study this together, is that we become people of truth, hope, and steadfastness because God's promises never fail. That's how we become people of truth, hope, and steadfastness. That's a vital part of our mission statement. Uh, Chris talked about it last week. Uh, we hope that you will hear that over and over again and begin to get a sense of what you are called to, uh, not only as people of this church, but just as a believer, that we are growing disciples in Jesus Christ that are based in truth, hope, and steadfastness. We get a beautiful picture of truth, hope, and steadfastness in the book of Joshua as the people of God, God works through his people, and he works through all things to begin to fulfill his promises. So this is what the book is going to show us, the promises that God has for them about this land, their inheritance, about rest that comes from their enemies. We're going to see the promises of God attached to his covenant with his people to bless obedience and to curse unfaithfulness. I believe this is the right book for us to study in this season. Uh, As Christians, wanting to fight against our sin in the midst of doubts and temptations, and then as Christians, looking at our culture, looking at the culture of the church, and then looking at the culture outside of the church, And maybe we are asking this question, in fact, I think we are, as I've talked to many of you, the the question we're asking is, God, what's what's next? Where where are we going? 
What's happening? I think this book will serve us well to begin to put some of those pieces together to, to show us that God is loyal to his word. His promises never fail. And he transforms us into people of truth, hope, and steadfastness. So as we uh, dig into this particular passage in Joshua 1, I want to comment on a few things that we see here right off the bat. First, and I mentioned this several times already, we have this idea that God is giving the people of God this land. We're going to talk a lot about land in the book of Joshua. This is a huge theme. So we want to ask, what is the significance of the land? What is the significance of this piece of land? Again, this has been promised to the people of God centuries ago to Abraham, that God would have a people for himself in a particular place. And the moment has arrived for them to take possession of this inheritance from God. This land that's beyond the Jordan River. And so this is the land that the people that were there certainly had known about for their entire lives. They've been hearing about this land and walking toward this land and wanting to be in this land. And this is the moment now that God's people will inherit the land that he has promised them. So we see the land. We also see the promise in this passage very clearly that God will never leave or forsake his people Since the Garden of Eden, God has been redeeming a people to dwell with him again. And so in some ways you could say that God has been re-Edenizing the world as a means to be with his people. And this land is important to that that end. That he will not only give them this land, but that he will be with them. God with us. Emmanuel. This is what this shows. God with us. With us. It's a prominent theme in the book of Joshua. And the third thing that we see here in this passage that I want to point out right now is the importance of God's law. We see that, and we've already talked about it this morning as we prayed through Psalm 19 and as Kirk read Psalm 1. The law of God is so important. In fact, I would argue that's the main crux of this passage, Joshua 1 1 through 9, is that the law that was delivered to Moses and then given to the people is to be obeyed. This is what we looked at last week when when Chris preached through Deuteronomy 30, that life and love is found in following God's commands. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy alone, this phrase that you see here in Joshua, be careful to do the law, that phrase alone occurs more than 20 times. And now here it is again in Joshua 1. As the people prepare to enter the land, their obedience to God is crucial. And it's crucial for their success. Again, we want to be successful people and God is showing what it takes. And so what is the success in view here? Essentially, what God is calling success for these people, these Israelites at this time, was to go into the land, take hold of what God had given to them, to be a holy nation set apart for him. Success was going to be the land and their inheritance and them living a life of flourishing with God. That was success. But what might be uh, a little bit puzzling to us, or maybe even confusing, is how God defines success in this passage. 
you might be surprised because in many ways, this is, a, this is going to be, as we read Joshua, this is going to be a military endeavor in many ways. This is going to be military-minded. And so we might expect that success would be about power and military might and strategy and wisdom. We might think that success would be simply overpowering our enemies or winning There are some that can read into this text a prosperity gospel. You see that word prosperous, and there would be some that that would argue that God is telling them that success is going to be what looks great externally, that that wealth and money and possessions and comfort. But is that what God, is that really what God is telling Joshua here? Is, Is he telling us about some type of prosperity gospel? Is God saying that success is military might? What we're after this morning is how do we understand how to be successful in the eyes of God? And that's what we're after in this passage. We all want success, but as God's people, we desperately need success on his terms. We can have it on our terms, and the world has its definition of success, but our, our concern as Christians is, what is success in the eyes of God? And so here is the main idea for this morning, and if you came in, we have the, the handouts there, and you can take notes during the sermon on the back of that piece of paper. Here is the main idea. God with us means success. Very simply, God with us, Emmanuel means success. And so as we begin to to flesh out in this passage what is godly success, we cannot escape the fact that we cannot be successful without God. We cannot have a successful life without the presence of God. God is emphatic here in Joshua 1 by telling the people, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. This is our God. God is with you wherever you go. There's the great comfort for us, believer. That is our comfort. God is never calling us to go anywhere or to do anything without him. Ever. He draws close to us. He draws close to his children. And it's only because of this reality that we can explore how we can have good success, as the passage says, as a Christian. It would, be, it would be beyond us, it would be a fool's errand to talk about how to have success without knowing that God must be with us, and he is. God with us. So there's two points of application that are going to flow from that main idea. Two, two points of application. The first one is this. God with us means success. Therefore, we need to obey. We need to obey. How do you have a successful life? If that's the question, obey God. Obey God's law. Now, there might be something in you when you hear me say that, that immediately you get all wound up, your stomach gets into knots, you may have come out of a church culture where that's just traumatic to you. Uh, And so let me right off the bat tell you that this is not a message of do better. This is not a sermon where I will stand here and tell you, you just need to do better and then you'll be successful. That would be wholly unloving to you. Yes, we're called to obey God's law. 
It's very clear throughout Scripture. It's not just an Old Testament phenomenon. We are called to obey the law of God. But this is not a legalism. This is not do the law and then receive grace and salvation. That's what our flesh wants to do, right? We want to earn it. We want to to do all the right things. We want to uh, look at the law and try to follow it perfectly and, and, and want to earn God's favor. But it's not, that's not at all what God has for his people. It's never been what he's had for his people. This is not do better. This is not do the law and receive grace. And what this is is that God has set his immense love upon you. He has given you a new heart. He has promised to dwell with you and never forsake you and bring you into eternal life with him. Therefore, do what he has commanded of you. The the message is obey out of love, not obey in order to be loved. It's so crucial that we understand that. It's so important that we know the difference between obey God because you are loved tremendously by him. Now the overflow of that love, you obey what he has commanded. That's so different from obey to be loved. God's law, as I mentioned, is not just for the Old Testament. It carries through as a way of life that we are given the law as New Testament people, as people on this side of the cross to know the best way to live, the way of life, the way of flourishing. It's God's gracious guardrails that bring about joy and peace and worship in our heart. God says uh, three times in this passage, be strong and courageous. Did you notice that? Three times. In fact, in one of them he says, be strong and be very courageous. But I want you to notice the context of what uh, God is saying in this passage about strength and courage. It's related to obedience to God's word. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Yeah, be strong and courageous. Why? Because they're scary people out there and there are mean people and there are people who are my enemies and there are people who are against me. Be strong and courageous. Not so much that. Be strong and courageous because you, you are going to be tempted to move away from God's law. You've got to be strong and courageous because you are going to be tempted greatly to not obey the commands of God. Be strong and courageous. Maybe you have not thought about strength and courage in that way before. Maybe you haven't thought about following God's law, obeying God's word, being in the area of strength and courage. But truly, this was the premier issue of the day. This was the premier issue with the Israelites in the time of Joshua, that they would not obey God's word and would end up worshiping the gods of the nations. This is why God's so emphatic about the blessing that comes from obedience. Now, maybe I shouldn't do this to you, but spoiler alert, the people of God are going to disobey. In fact, if we go to the next book, the book of Judges, that's a book largely about the fact that the people of God have moved away from his commands and have started worshiping the nations and taking up their idols. The problem 
is not just with them. Friends, that's our problem today. That's still our problem today. It is our premier problem that we are tempted to move away from following God's good law. So be careful to do all that is written in the law. Be strong and courageous. That's what's written here. Think about the man or woman that is struggling with same-sex attraction with me. Chris brought this up last week. I thought it was really helpful. If you think about a man or a woman struggling with same-sex attraction, and you think about what our culture is constantly bombarding that person with, can you put yourself in, in that person's shoes for a minute? You think about what the world is saying. The world is saying that your sexual desires are placed at the core of who you are. The world is saying that you will only be truly happy when romantic love is achieved. The world is saying that the orthodox traditional view of marriage is oppressive. And so for this man or woman to express their love for God by laying down those desires and by recognizing the idols that they have built up in their heart, and by submitting to God's word, do you realize that that person is nothing short of heroic? Do you understand that that person is nothing short of brave in a world that does not understand such things? What's actually true of those people, and maybe you, you know someone who is battling that, maybe, maybe it is you. What's actually true of someone who is battling same-sex attraction and yet has given their heart over to God and submitted to his law, what they are actually able to do is said that they have never imagined the joy and peace of following after God in obedience. Only by his grace. But if you talk to someone who is in the midst of such a battle, they will tell you, by God's grace, that there is no joy and peace like following after God. Now, you don't have to be a person that struggles with same-sex attraction to know that following God's law is always going to be countercultural. It always has been, it is right now, and it will be until Christ comes. And that you, believer, need to be strong and courageous. You need to be strong and courageous. The Israelites going into the land of Canaan were about to be tempted to follow the way of pagan idolatry there. So as we see them enter the land, we're going to see them with the Canaanites. There is great economic decadence. They're going to enter a lot of prosperity. They're going to enter into a culture that is rife with sexual immorality. They're going to enter into a culture that celebrated child sacrifice and murder. Now, something I want to make very clear as we study Joshua, because there's going to be some more, there's going to be difficult things and topics as we study the book of Joshua, and maybe you already know what some of those could be, but what I want to tell us is that God has not called us today to devote to destruction lands or peoples as he commanded these people to do at this particular time in history. That's important. God is not telling us to destroy the land that we are in. But what he is commanding us and calling us to do is to obey. 
He's calling us to obey in the midst of great societal temptation to follow our own sinful desires to be God instead of obeying God. That's our temptation right now. It's Genesis 3. You want to be God? You want to be like God? That's going to be our our flesh and the world crying at us all the time. The secular world and our own flesh scoffs at what God's moral law says. The world scoffs at what God says about how you spend your money. The world is going to scoff at the way we think about gossip, about family and children. I mean, the list is endless. We could, we could fill the rest of the hour thinking about the ways that God has called us to live and how it's directly opposed to what the world's values are. We are tempted to be careless when it comes to God, the lawgiver, but he is calling us to be careful. Our temptation is just to be careless and casual with what God has called his people to, but, but the word says be careful to obey. The world says success. And that's the topic, right? What is success? The world says success is making up your own rules, doing what's true to you, and nothing, not even children, born or unborn, should get in the way of your happiness and comfort. That's the message we hear. That's the message our lost friends are hearing all the time. Do whatever you want. It's your truth. You deserve happiness and comfort no matter what. Don't let anybody get in the way of that. But God with us means a better success. And this success means God-glorifying obedience. That's success as defined by God. So Lord, help us. How do we do this? It's one thing to say that this is what God has called his people to. And he has. But how do we do this? This is, this is a weighty task ahead of us. Well, notice what, what this text says about how we are to obey God. We obey God by meditating on God's law. This is not a new theme, but Joshua 1 gives us really helpful lens to see this, meditating on God's word, having it be in our mouth at all times. In fact, the term we could use for this is spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines. And this is why, uh, as Chris mentioned last week, we are going to take the time as City Church, as the people of City Church, to memorize a passage in the Bible. Uh, If you haven't picked up one of these little bookmarks, uh, that uh, Jordan Winkler created for us. So thankful for this. It's really handy. Please pick up one of these bookmarks on the way out if you haven't. On the one side, it has our fasting schedule for 2023. So as people of God, we want to pray and fast together. And then on the other side, it has the different ways that we're going to break out First Peter 2 to memorize together this year. So each month, there's a different uh, few verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are going to effort to memorize together. And why would we do this? Is this just busy work? Is this just, hey, it seems like a good idea, let's, let's just open the Word of God and, and knock this out? I hope not. 
I hope not. I hope it is because we see that knowing and studying and having God's word hidden in our heart is a means to obey. It's a means to avoid sin. And that's what we want. That we would dedicate ourselves to prayer and fasting is a reminder that we can deny good things for better things. We can, get, we can deny good things like social media or food. These are things that, food, things that God has given us, but he also has told us that we don't live by bread alone, but by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you want a successful life? Do you want good success and a prosperous life? Be people of the word. People of the word. Second point of application. The first one, we obey. The second one is we need not to fear. God with us means success, so we need not fear. Why does God say in the, at the end of verse 9 to not be frightened or dismayed? Why would God say that? Because there are scary things out there. Like we're tempted to fear because there are scary things. God knows and sees the scary things in your life. He sees the scary things in my life. And yet the call is fear not. We've, we've actually talked a lot about fear over the past several months. Uh, specifically, I think about uh, Philippians 4, which we studied together. And if you remember in Philippians 4, we hear the call of do not be anxious about anything. And man, we, we live in such a time where we're tempted to be fearful and anxious pretty much 24-7. Are we not? Do you feel that? I know. It's just, it's palpable. We live in the midst of a hostile culture and uncharted, water, uncharted waters, and so fear. Several weeks ago, I uh, ran across a thread on Twitter, actually. It's from a, it was from a pastor in Orlando, and he was writing about how believers need to learn how to operate in the midst of dissonance in society. Dissonance. It's a big word. You know what dissonance means? Dissonance is, if you can kind of think about it as like clanging cymbals, noise, conflict, fights, outrage, tension, dissonance. His point was that we as believers should be a non-anxious presence in this world. How can we be countercultural? <laughs> to be calm. To not indulge ourselves in this dissonance and this clanging symbol and this getting worked up and nervous and angry a non-anxious presence in a hostile world to be able to absorb the dissonance when we calmly realize that all that noise all of that is of no threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ it's of no threat. The crazier and more dysregulated things become around us, the more we lean on the lordship of Jesus Christ and his kingdom that has come. His kingdom has come. We need not fear. God is with us. God with us for believers is the incredible truth that we are united to Christ. 
Do you realize that? Have you stopped and just had your breath taken away for a minute that you are united to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit? That all that is Christ's is ours? That we can become the Psalm 1 man or woman only because Jesus truly is the Psalm 1 man. His delight is on the law of the Lord. He is the tree planted by living waters whose leaves never wither. And all Jesus does, he prospers. Jesus is the successful life. Jesus is the the successful life. But it's only a success that happened after death. He received his inheritance after being rejected. This is the gospel. That Jesus, the strong and courageous Jesus, was obedient unto death on a cross to save us from our disobedience. He is the greater Joshua that took hold of the inheritance that God was giving him only after he was raised from the dead. And he's leading us into a promised land. He's leading us into a promised land. He's not leading us into a patch of land in the Middle East. We're not going to be crossing over the Jordan River. He's taking us into a heavenly land. He's taking us into the eternal land with him. Apart from the gospel, you and I are just like the Israelites there on the plains of Moab in Joshua 1. Without Christ, we would not be able to turn from the left or from the right of the law. That's all we do. That's all we do is turn left and right and disobey. But because we are united to Jesus Christ, his success is now ours. His success becomes ours. And now we can obey with joy and we need not fear with courage. That is truly the successful life that we've all been made for. That's, that's the story of us believers. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the call for you. Do you want a successful life? Believe upon the name of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in the one who truly can take you to the promised land. The one who will bring you everything that your hearts desire. That's the call. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can claim you, that you have ransomed us, you redeemed us, that you have given us the ability to please you in obedience because of Christ. Christ, who is the strong, prosperous one, the one who has success by being perfectly obedient even unto death on a cross. And the cross is where our sins were ransomed, where we were saved from death. The cross is where we were brought into a promised land. Your death and resurrection, now at the right hand of the Father, waiting to fully bring us into that promised land, where we are cast our eyes upon you, where we will sup with you and rejoice with you in person to the end of time, for all time. That's what our hearts long for. How do we have a successful life? By following you. How do we not fear in the midst of so much to fear? By trusting you. That you are a promise-fulfilling God. 
and you are with us to the end of age. We thank you and we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.